What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. for CF Montreal and a fantastically wonderful one for the sport of football but it didn't always look like that we will of course discuss what was a very pleasant afternoon last Saturday but news coming out of Europe just a day later overshadowed everything in the football world as it turned out however it wasn't long before the soccer equilibrium righted itself fan power player power and general football power defeating the greed of parasitic owners negligent towards the sport's people, the sport's history, and its heritage. It's Wednesday, the 21st of April. Welcome to the latest episode of The Ball is Round. As usual, I'm accompanied by the wit and wisdom of Eve Powell, Harry Raphael, and Sam Savvy. Guys, I was knocked for six by this announcement, um, but gradually picked myself up off the floor, realizing uh, this was so ridiculous, it just couldn't happen. I still had to take chill pills every time I heard those two words. Thankfully, football won the day, and the parasite owners will be left with tails between their legs. We'll talk about all of this later in the show, but maybe a brief two-sentence reaction from each of you before we move on. Yeah, uh, I can give a reaction. A reaction. I was really shocked that this happened, and I'm so happy that it's not happening anymore. Uh, so, yeah, a big shock at first, and a big sigh of relief afterwards. Yeah, I was definitely thrown for a loop when this simultaneous announcement from the 12 clubs involved in this purported Super League came out. But conversely, I was really impressed by the response from other clubs, other leagues, so on and so forth as well as the grassroots supporters who came out in protest and decorated the stadium showing, no, we're not for this. And lo and behold, they cowed to the public pressure and now heads are starting to roll as yeah. they rightfully should. Yeah. And, you know, we just, we just had the proof more than ever that football is really for the fans and by the fans. So, I mean, they can, they can dream about their super leagues all they want. If, if the fans don't want, you know, it just proved that it cannot work. So that's, that was brilliant for me that it was cancelled. Yeah, I thought I was going to have a bad intro today and then everything changed yesterday, which was fantastic. So um, I think the rest of the week, we've all had a good week, right? Oh, yeah. I can't complain, <laughs> oh, yeah. aside from the weather. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're all CF Montreal fans and none of us are complaining. That's unbelievable. When's <laughs> yeah, the last time crazy. that happened? I don't oh, know. Wow. I don't know. No, I don't remember if that happened uh, quite often in in the past uh, six months, let's say. 
Definitely not. Yeah, I know. So, so we closed last week's show by saying we'll see you all next Wednesday and we'll be hoping that we'll be waxing lyrical uh, about um, Wilfred Nancy's first victory. And we can because he did. So yeah. 4 2 yeah. v Toronto, guys. Let's hear it. Oh, I was impressed. I was impressed by. Uh, let's start with with Wilfred Nancy, if you if you want, guys. I was really impressed by his uh, by how he approached the game. He approached it very aggressively, very you know offensively, and uh, I just loved the way he he took the tactics on. I mean, he, he really forced Toronto into his own tactics, which for the first professional game of this man is, is very, very, very impressive. I mean, he was against an experienced coach and he, he bossed, he's, he bossed it tactically, which is great for me. How much, how much do you think he was helped though by, I mean, it, it was, I don't want to say it was a Toronto second stream, but they did have quite a few guys missing. Uh, did, did that help? Or do you think if Toronto were at full strength, they'd approach the game the same way? No, I think they would have approached the same way because he he called he, he pretty much called in advance what Chris Armas was going to do and he he got it spot on and I have to say when I heard him in interview before the game you know almost bragging about knowing exactly how to, Toronto was going to play I felt it I saw it a bit awkward to me because he's an inexperienced coach and he was going against someone who who's been there for long but he, I mean, he he got it spot on. He knew exactly what Toronto was gonna do, and he he, he placed his his way, you know, his, his way of playing exactly around it. So, would he have played the same way? I uh, sorry, would Armas have played the same way? Definitely, because that's how he plays. That's the thing. I think both of these coaches, you know, they're fairly new in the team, uh, even if Armas does have previous MLS experience. So they do have to establish their tactical identity with the with the squad so I don't see why various team selections unless you were so thoroughly critically um, lacking bodies at a certain position I don't see why that would have impacted uh, what the coach is trying to to implement for a squad yeah I just want to add something also we're talking about the B, uh, B team in Toronto too and I, I understand that yes they were missing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, players in Toronto but I wanted to ask you a question, and I hope uh, Paul will, will answer that question. Do you think we'll have the same problem here in Montreal if we're missing if we're missing seven or eight players? We won't, right? Yeah, you know what? I think you're right because I think the way um, I think the way that uh, Olivier Renard has has you know strategized and and brought the players in that he has, I think we're we're kind of well well covered. Um, they probably thought they were well covered too, but I think the 10 people unavailable, which is a little bit, probably a little bit, would be even a little bit difficult for us. But um, maybe you're right. Maybe we, we, we would handle it better. But one thing, maybe if I can throw a question back, and I'm, I must admit, I'm really sick, sore, and tired of hearing this one. Um, and it's about clubs or teams playing two games in a week and everybody saying, you know, people's legs being heavy because they had a game on a Wednesday and it's difficult for them to play on a Saturday. Listen, I've grown up watching football and all the successful teams have had to play two games in a week. Why do we always hear this? 
because it was the same 11 on Wednesday than on Saturday. And that's why we hear this. But you know what? If we would have lost, we would have said, oh, yeah, but, you know, they have match fitness and we don't. Yeah. So, you know what? Like the narrative changes wherever wherever you want and the way you want, right? So if we want to find an excuse, we're going to find an excuse. If we want to find uh, find find something to say that we're good, we're going to find something to say that we're good. So the narrative really changed, uh, you know, whatever you want. So for me, all these are, are excuses and it's not really something that we have to base uh, ourselves upon. So so that's one thing. But I want to come back to, to Wilfred Nassi. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm going back backwards a bit. Uh, but droit I de love... Vin, come on, man. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it's a droit de vin, Hadi. Droit de vin, yeah. Straight, <laughs> <laughs> straightforward, as you, as you say. No, but let, 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 let's, let's... I just want to talk... Uh, say one thing regarding uh, Wilfred Nassi. I love the fact that not only he was pretty good tactically like like uh, like Sam said and he was prepared tactically because he knew like Chris uh, the way Chris Armas was going to play his team but i like the way he handled the game in game like during the game he handled the game perfectly he did the changes where they needed to be changed he changed the whole front line which is usually the the the, the you know, the, the guys that really suffer a lot, right? Uh, with the wing backs in, in that kind of system. He changed them all. Uh, he, he, uh, he gave a few minutes to a lot of people from the bench, uh, putting Sadich up for, for Mihailovic, Hurtado for Toy, uh, Johnson for Kyoto. And when he, um, and, and he also heard what was going, going on on the field also. And that's pretty tough for a new coach. Uh, for a coach that hasn't coached at that level already. And uh, I asked him in a press conference, and I'm like, what was the idea behind uh, putting Struna for Kidza, uh, knowing that, you know, Waterman didn't have a good game? And he told me, listen, uh, Kidza unfortunately had a knock, so I had to put him out. And mm-hmm. I entered Struna, and I wanted to be as a right central defender because that's where he's... Uh, he's um, He's at ease, and that's where he's more more comfortable. And uh, I knew that Waterman didn't mind if he played as a right center back or a left center back. He can play the the two the two positions. So I changed things up that way in order to push Kamal Miller to the left flank. And I like that because usually there's a lot of coaches that would would have maybe chosen. Zoran Bassong to come in and, you know, switch directly for, for Kiza. I don't mm. think he was on the bench, Bassong, but, uh, you know, he there was, was, he was, he was, he was on the was bench, but he decided not to do that and to change things up and give a few minutes to the veteran, uh, like uh, uh, Kiki Suna. And I, I, I like the, the, the way he, he handled that game. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I kind of a little bit of a theory about Wolf. I think he's a really deep, deep thinker, a real student of the game. And, you know, when you consider where he's come from to where he's currently at, like uh, head coach of a, a professional club in tier one level in a, in a, in a, what's now a good footballing country, right? Um, to travel that journey, he's, he's, you have to really love the game, right? Because there's no guarantees for him the whole way through that journey that he's going to ever get anywhere near there. And he served for, um, experienced coaches now and and he's got to have learned from each one of those and probably picked the best parts but I honestly think he's an incredibly deep thinker maybe a deeper thinker than all four of them um, 
So it's a little bit early to, to kind of throw that out and declare that that is fact, but um, I, I just kind of get this, I, this is the impression I get of, 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 of Wolf. It, it, listen, guys, there, there, there's, um, there was a few players that, you know, there's quite a few notable performances there on Saturday. And I think Sam said it at first about the way we approach the game in the front foot. Of course, Wolf d- d- deserves the, 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 the credit for that. But um, it's probably more positive than we have seen in, in a few years. Um, but some, some outstanding performances. ZBG was probably the biggest one for me. Um, Jordi Mihailovic thought he got an immense amount of space. We probably should have used him a little bit more than what we did. Mason Toy, great start for him, faded a little bit. And the Wanyama Piet axis worked really well. What do you guys think about any one of those that I've just mentioned? No, I thought a lot of the players definitely, I was kind of surprised by how well it seemed like the team gelled right away for how little time they had together and how few matches in preseason they had gotten the chance to play together. So I was really impressed just to see not only just the notable performances that you mentioned, and absolutely, I completely agree with you for all of those names, um, but just the fact that the whole team had really seemed to develop that chemistry really quickly of knowing where your teammate is to accept the pass or knowing where they're going to be when, for example, Kiza headed in that cross that, or sorry, Kiza put in that cross that, um, toy you know nearly got on target for a second but definitely I thought one of the biggest improvements on last season was Wanyama as far as the level of positivity in his play because he seemed to make much more of a point of using his body to turn and find an option forward when possible rather than just playing a safe pass backwards or possibly not even a safe pass as we saw last season so I thought that was a huge improvement. And then I was like, oh, this is why we signed a DP. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For me, Wanyama looked like a DP uh, on Saturday, for sure. He's had a full preseason this year too, which might be a different style, right? Well, of course. And that that's the whole point of it, you know. And <clears throat> for me, Wanyama looked like he connected so much, so easier than last year with the other players. Hence the, the you know, the the comments of, the safe pass every time, you know, when you're not connected and when you're not sure what your, what your teammates are doing, of course, your option is always going to be the safer pass. You know, you're going to go close when you're playing as a number six, you're going to go close to your center backs or to your number eight. That's not too far. But for, for the first time, I really felt like Wanyama was, was like had a connection with almost all the players on the field and, and could really sense what the movement was going to be. And probably that was uh, in, in huge part due to preseason because they must have worked a lot on system because they, they didn't, for me, they didn't look like a team who were starting to get the system. They were really into it and they had, they had locked it in, in a sense. So for sure, it's going to help Wanyama. It's going to help his performances. And I mean, he's, he's slowly starting to understand Piet and Piet is understanding him and it shows a lot which is just brilliant for me. I, I mean, it, it was a good performance by, by Wanyama and Piet. And uh, just to, to brush Mihailovic quickly, I, I, I really think he's the, he's the good man at the top of that sort of triangle because he, he has the movement, he has the vision to be drifting a bit wider and really leave the center 
to Piet and Wanyama and, and occupy the spaces left you know, free by the opposition. And when he did find these, these spaces, he was very, very efficient. So the, the, the midfield trio was, was great for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That, and you talked about a lot of players. Uh, and I, I think, for me, one of the best players on the pitch and wasn't mentioned, and it's Kamal Miller. Kamal Miller True. was amazing was in that game. Good choice. Yes, he, he, was, he was really the general of that defense. He was really the, 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 the captain of that defense. It wasn't Rudy Camacho. It wasn't, of course, not Joel Waterman. But, but Kamal Miller was really impressive. And even when he played on the left flank, he but that's what happens. Well. That's what happens when you come on our show, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So maybe we should get Waterman the next uh, next time, uh, just so uh, so we can ask him a few questions and get him uh, to 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 have better performances in the future. Uh, but yeah, Kemal Miller was really amazing one on one. I saw him uh, really, uh, you know, give instructions to his teammates and uh, yelling and and putting every everybody back to 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 their place, uh, playing very. Um, very uh, safe when, when he needed to and playing long when he needed to also. So I really liked what, uh, what uh, Miller proposed in that, in that, in that, in that starting 11. And also I want to talk about uh, Kiza. Uh, Kiza played well. I think he's the one that really, I think it's something that we haven't seen in a while in Montreal. And I think we've never seen something like Kiza in Montreal because even Oyongo, that was maybe the best left back in, 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 uh, in Montreal history, uh, didn't used to play the same way because Oyongo wasn't good on crosses. And Kiza, Kiza crossed the ball so many times with so many different types of crosses. Uh, yeah. That it was really interesting. That, uh, I, I mean, for to have played uh, center back, it's so difficult to defend these early crosses when, yeah. the, when the wing back crosses from 40 or 35 yards out because positionally you're, you're, you're facing the ball, but not completely. You're, you're facing the ball sideways when you're defending. Yeah, you're looking now over the, your shoulder. Yeah. Exactly. Now the cross comes in and you have to be running towards your net to defend. So you lose you lose all notion of where's where's the player going, uh, who you're marking, where exactly the ball is, and it becomes extremely difficult to to defend. And I think that's that's a thing that Kiza did well. But just to come back quickly, you know, we we had two very good left backs in in uh, Oyongo and and Lovitz before. We never played systems that that really use their their offensive prowesses that much. And I think now that we have Kiza and Bogiard, the wing back type of system really, really is it's almost like they're there by design where we exactly. fitted the others in, right? And imagine Oyongo in a five man defense where he oh, can wow. really go forward. Oh, it's been crazy. But we always used to play with a back four, you know? Yeah. So Yeah, but I think I think uh, I yeah, I would love to have a younger back, but I think that Zakai Bogiar is playing the younger part. You know, being very <laughs> offensive, uh, cutting down the middle. Uh, that's what Oyongo used to do. So having the same type of wing backs on the right and the left, and I don't think that's what we what you need. I think you need to mix it up a bit. And having Bogiar and Ikiza in that in that um, in that starting eleven uh, adds some complexity to to, to the the way uh, Montreal attacks because you have one that's able to cross and the other one that's able to cut and and able to dribble and and create some chances and even you know give assists and everything so i really like that and i wanted to say one last thing about those wingbacks 
why do we call them wingbacks? Because they're wingers. They weren't wingbacks, <laughs> right? Uh, like they were really wingers because if you look at the tactical side of it, you had Piet and Wanyama that was closing down the middle. Uh, the three center backs, you had Miller that was covering not only the left center of the pitch, but also the left wing. And you had Waterman covering the right wing mm. and the right center of, of uh, the right center of the defense. So those two guys, Kisa and, 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 and ZBG, didn't have much to do defensively. Yes, they had to come back from time to time, but their defensive responsibilities were, were not that great like when you play in a different system. Yeah, but I thought it was a big challenge for Kiza because Richie Larea was there and, and you know, opposing him. And I, I thought that maybe he struggled a little bit there to pick uh, to pick Richie Larea. I, I think Kiza played well. I think we've got to persevere with him. He's a very, very good player going forward. The same as what uh, Zach is as well. And, you know, this is obviously the way that um, that Montreal are going to play the game, which is great, by the way. Um, but I thought he struggled a little bit uh, defensively. Really? Do you yeah, think, did. did you did you really see Larea the whole game? Uh, just forget about his goal that came in after Kiza went out. But during the whole game, we didn't see much of Larea. Yeah, I just I, I just think Larea is a you know he's a quality player, and I think that he's always a danger. And uh, I, I thought there were a few um, I thought there were a few anxious moments defensively for Kiza. But you know what? It's it's his second regular season MLS game. It's normal. I would just say, I think there was a couple of instances where I noticed he was fairly out of position, but again, I noticed at the same time, conversely that Kamal Miller very quickly made it over or even on one instance, Sam Piet actually slotted in at left back. And I was like, okay, that works um, to close down the threat. So I think we're not quite there in defense yet, right? No. I think we would all getting probably there, agree though, with getting that. There. But we were missing Binksy, right? So if if we'd had Louis Binks, you know, that that helps, of course, too, right? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Because I think he's holding the the you know the the libero spot, if you want the the really central central defense spot. I think Camacho would would probably slot to the to the right where Waterman was playing. So it's a, it's it's probably the most important part of the defense. The the player was playing centrally in that that back three. So when Binks is there, uh, I'm expecting him to play there and to have a big impact, you know. So we'll just uh, we'll just close this segment off before we go and speak to our special guest from Nashville uh, SC. Um we'll close this off by looking at our predictions last week. And the last person to speak there, Sam, we gotta give you our congratulations. You're the only one of the quartet who forecast a Montreal win. So you're top of our table. Uh cool. two points. Uh two points for getting the result right. If you get the margin right, you get three points. If you get the score exactly right, you get four. So it's two zero zero zero. Sorry, but you're telling me I'm competitive? Did you see the face of Sam when, when you said that? He was so happy. So I'm not the only one that's competitive. We all are. Hey, he's, a, he's, a, he's an old center back. What do you expect? Oh, yeah. <laughs> With emphasis on the old. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not 30 yet, so who's old, man? Yeah, old. Oh. <laughs> coming for you this year. Watch yeah, out. I was, I was just setting it up for you, Sam. <laughs> Nice pass. 
So it's time to look forward to Saturday, and that's not something we've said all that often over the past couple of seasons as Montreal Impact fans. So Nashville SC are next up at their place, Nissan Stadium, Saturday afternoon. Montreal's on a roll, back-to-back regular season wins, even though one was last season, but still, we'll take it. We have a special guest on board from deepest Tennessee who's going to help us preview the big game Wes Bowling is Nashville Soccer Club's radio analyst and the co-host of Club and Country, a podcast that covers Nashville SC and the growth of soccer in Tennessee. Welcome to The Ball is Round, Wes, hopefully the first of many. It is an absolute pleasure to be on. I've heard your work for a while now and really respect what you do. Thanks for inviting me. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Um, Wes, we normally open this slot by letting a guest tell our listeners a little about themselves, how long you've been covering Nashville, for instance, maybe what other footballing background you might have, uh, where they can find you on social media. So why don't you let our listeners know something about yourself? Gladly. I am a typical Tennessee sports fan in that I grew up around football of the American variety and was very loyal to the university game, but would watch anything that was on TV. And that included the 1994 World Cup, which was my introduction to the game. But I went to the University of Tennessee and studied sports reporting and was a local TV reporter in that market at a, a television station once I graduated and quickly realized that I was going to need to tell stories that I wasn't used to telling uh, because I was the number three reporter right out of college. And Mm. so I wasn't covering the major sports in East Tennessee. I was covering things like curling. By the way, Knoxville, Tennessee has a curling club, wakeboarding, (laughs) rugby, all kinds of random things. And soccer was included in that. I'd always appreciated the game, but when I studied abroad, my next to last year in university, it was during the 2006 World Cup, and I fell in love with it, watching it in the pubs and understanding how people viewed it. And I made that link between soccer and the loyalty I felt for college football, which is very tribal and very similar in a lot of ways. And moved back to Nashville eventually to get a graduate degree. And when I did, I dove in. I was an Arsenal supporter. Still thinking about that one after all the Super League stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't go well to. for you, right? No, <laughs> it has not gone well for me. I, I chose Arsenal, and the next week, Thierry Henry left for Barcelona, and things have never really been the same for Arsenal. So I had one week of Henry <laughs> in the wow. off season, nonetheless. So, so, so listen, a, a little bird tells me that you have some Quebec connections. I do. My wife is French-Canadian, grew up in Ottawa, and has family that lives in cottage country just right across across the border in Quebec. And so I spend at least a week every summer and a week every winter when, of course, the border is open. It's been a, a challenging year for so many, and that includes us. But I absolutely love my time up in cottage country in Quebec, still working on my French, but uh, a special, special place. Yeah, you, you and me both. I'm still working on my French too. <laughs> um, listen, I really have to ask you this. I actually have some Tennessee connections too, friends. I, I lived down in Memphis for two and a half years. I actually played soccer in Nashville. Did you? Uh, for the, do you remember the old Memphis Express? No? Yes. I, I didn't play for them, but I played an over 35s game before they played Nashville <laughs> one day down there. And it was in mid July and is the most tired I've ever felt after a game in my life. It was That's awful. Hot. Oh. Anyway, I really got to ask you this because this is a place where I ended up that night. Um, and I'll be very, very disappointed if the answer is no. Is the little bar Tootsie's still going on Broadway? It is still going strong. It is the most popular bar on Broadway. And 
I'm not sure they know that COVID happened at Texas. <laughs> uh, for better or for worse, they've continued to thrive. And uh, yes, Tootsie's is, is a very popular spot still and, and still going strong. They've actually built a, a rooftop since you probably have been there. So yeah, you can yeah. stand out, maybe maybe socially distanced, maybe not. I've not tried it, uh, but to enjoy the open air Broadway when you, you have your beer and listen to your music. It is a superb location. A super, I've, I've been there quite a few times, actually. I had a few trips down to Nashville, but uh, let, let's get on with the football. Um, how could you describe Nashville's style uh, or, or system in year one? And do you think Gary Smith was perhaps forced to play in a certain type of way because of the expansion situation? Or, or do you think this is also the blueprint for 2021? Sure. You know, I've covered Gary Smith since before day one of USL play. So this will be my fourth year covering him and developed a good relationship with him. And I can tell you his ambition is to play bright, positive, attacking soccer. Now, he will never do that at the expense of his defensive backbone. And in year one, I think the focus was first and foremost on solidifying that backbone, you know, and bringing in a Walker Zimmerman for a million dollars in allocation money and putting him next to Dave Romney and, and bringing in Dan Lovitz, who I know you all know well from his time in Montreal and, and maybe a bit in Toronto as well, and and really putting players there that he could trust. In central midfield, Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty. Of course, Dax a great attacker earlier on in his career, but it had kind of come a defensive option. And... Perhaps unfairly then, because the club was so organized and focused on that, it, it developed the reputation as a club that parked the bus. Now, if you said a defensive first club, I would agree with you. I think you have to. It's a club that led MLS in clean sheets. It's a club that was one of the lowest in the league in goals allowed. But I think what you saw toward the end of last year and what the team wants to do this year Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Is to play a brighter, more attacking style of soccer. They do not want to sit back and be accused of parking the bus. And you know what? That might leave them a little bit more vulnerable defensively. And we saw that in match one against FC Cincinnati. But this club is... is I think, bent on not being accused of being a team that parks the bus in year two. So was he forced into it with the expansion situation? I think that that's probably part of it. There were some injuries that limited what they could do in central midfield and even in the attack. There were two games they played without a forward available in the 23-man lineup. And so that affected them as well. Um, but I think for the most part, this is a club that started to, to fulfill its ambitions toward the end of the season when all three DPs started their first match together in the playoffs. Uh, and, and now the personnel is in place to build a little more ambitiously up top. Three DPs. We don't know what that is like, <laughs> guys, do we? 
<laughs> no, not at all. Never, never knew that. Uh, and I don't think we'll never know that. <laughs> no. What, what do you think, Wes, um, is the objective uh, Nashville F- SC fans, I keep saying FC, SC fans have in mind for this season? Would making the playoffs be enough or, you know, are you looking for an MLS Cup final or bust or is it too soon for that? I think reasonable supporters, which might be an oxymoron in in the soccer world. (laughs) Doesn't exist. (laughs) No, it doesn't. But I think in in their reasonable moments, at least, they would say that making the playoffs and perhaps with a a few games to spare, comfortably making the playoffs would be a solid ambition. Uh, I think most supporters in Nashville, as probably in, in Montreal, also support English Premier League teams or others elsewhere where there is no playoff. And, and your table position is a little bit better indication of the quality of the year you had. And so I think, you know, it, it, fans are of two minds because, number one, they expect to make the playoffs. And I think that is certainly viewed as the as the baseline for success. And people will have to look at that and say, good year. But then they saw what the club did in knockout competition last year in beating Toronto, which I'm sure you guys didn't relish at all up in, in uh, Quebec. Not a bit. We're delighted. <laughs> and then, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure. And then thrashing into Miami as well. And the fact of the matter is this is a club that is built pretty well for tournament play. You know, when you have a group that's not easy to beat, Gary Smith has never lost a match by more than two goals in his tenure in Nashville going into his fourth season. They're not going to get beat. They're not going to be out of games easily. And so once they get to the playoffs, I think there is an expectation because of what happened in year one that this club can and perhaps should go further than that. When it comes to the club's aspirations, I spoke recently with general manager Mike Jacobs, and he would agree, I think, with with you and I. You make the playoffs, and then it's a crapshoot. <laughs> you yeah. just never know on your day, right? So I think that that's a reasonable expectation for this club. Yeah, it's a lottery, the playoffs. Uh, we all know that. Uh, now, let's go back to last week's uh, first game. Nashville started its season with a 2-2 draw uh, against Cincinnati. But most importantly, uh, you started by conceding two goals in the first 13 minutes or 12 minutes uh, before being able to come back. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that game? Because, first of all, there's a lot of resiliency by by trying to, you know, by, by being able to come back from two, two goals down. So that's already good. But, you know, conceding two goals as early, it's not really it's not really looking good, right? So let us know a bit about that game. It was a very atypical game, very uncharacteristic of Nashville. Those were the two quickest goals this club has ever given up in quick succession in MLS or in USL. And the rest of the match, you know, I'm, I'm a big hockey fan as well. And so I'll tell you, I miss Shea Weber dearly. <laughs> Watching him sit up at the point and fire slap shots over and over and over again, especially on the power play. The rest of the match felt like a power play. It felt like Nashville was a man up. It felt like 11 on 10, even though it wasn't because Nashville was down 2-0, but still had the higher quality attack and higher quality team. I think it's very easy to look at the, uh, not, not the box score, but certainly at the score sheet itself and say, wow, since he was really good, they were high quality. And certainly the first goal was extremely high quality. They built through the middle after stretching Nashville on the wings and they found a vulnerable spot in central midfield and they manipulated that. The second goal was a little flukier. It was a penalty kick. Joe Willis came out of goal, tried to cross up Brenner and failed and came into the back of him. VAR ended up calling that a penalty, the right call in my opinion. But then the rest of the match battened down the hatches. Nashville set club records in shots, shots on target, corner kicks. They lead Major League Soccer in expected goals with 3.5. And so fans really are torn this week. And, and the topic that we discussed on Club and Country was, should you be more excited or more disappointed 
by the result. Certainly the two-time wooden spoon holders you expect to beat and take three points off of, especially at home in front of around 20,000 supporters. But the way it happened, coming back, dominating the game, you can only say if they'd finished one or two more of those chances or if Cincy's keeper hadn't doubled the club record in saves in one match, then we're sitting here talking about a 4-2 or maybe even 5-2 victory. Yeah, no, for sure. It was a really, really nice game to watch uh, for the neutrals. Uh, so yeah. that, that's for sure. Uh, now, uh, I, I saw the, the the first game of Nashville, but uh, just for our listeners here, can we expect to see the same 4-2-3-1 formation with uh, Cadiz up front, with uh, um, Hani Mukhtar as the number 10, uh, Leal playing on the left wing? Is it still the same shape that we've uh, we've been used to? Yes, I think we can expect to see that. There have been times that Gary Smith has experimented with a 3-5-2 slash 5-3-2, but I think he knows how he wants this team to play earlier in the year. And my impression from from watching them in that first match is that that's a system they want to stick with. Uh, I think they like the stability that gives them in the back, and they also like their, their personnel now in the attack moving forward. It's the right balance look for them, and I think it's something we can probably expect here moving forward. And in terms of personnel, like that's that's the question. You know, This is a team that has incredible depth up top there are five players when healthy that can contribute to the attack and have in their careers so it's a deep group but you know when you have five strikers do you really have one striker you know is there really one that you're looking at and saying that's our talisman i think that's the question that the club is hoping to answer and so i think again that's the focus is is to continue to try to to barnstorm the final third to create chances and to see who can be that finisher for them here early in the year and i'll be really interested to see who they who they put in to try to make that happen. So uh, Alistair Johnson has become a very effective player for Nashville. He's kind of come out of nowhere, and we would love to bring him back to Canada, by the way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, can you tell us a little bit about how popular he is uh, down, down there and a bit of his story in Nashville? He's beloved. And, you know, this club, when it started, said they wanted to be uniquely Nashville. And what they meant by that was, not splashing millions and millions of dollars on European washouts to come in and try to to carry you, but but developing guys through the super draft, through timely smart acquisitions, and Alistair Johnston embodies that as well as anybody. You know, picked in the in the first round of the super draft, but not in those top five or six picks where you think you've really got a star. And yet this club traded up to pick him because they'd been to Wake Forest, they'd been to camps, they really liked what he stood for and what he could contribute. Even then, Mike Jacobs, typically the general manager, likes to loan out players to USL. Nashville doesn't have a USL championship squad. And so from what I understand, there was an agreement before the pandemic to send Alistair in his first year to a USL club. Thank goodness for Nashville that didn't happen. I mean, the pandemic is is terrible, but just purely from a soccer standpoint, it worked out beautifully for Alistair. And in that delay, he didn't play in those first two matches, but in the delay during the pandemic, he impressed the staff enough that, that he was in the roster against Dallas. And I even thought to myself, we were in the hospital actually having just given, my wife just, had just given birth to our young son. And I thought, who's this kid? Did I lose too much sleep? Why is Alistair starting? I don't understand. And of course, he quickly proved proved why. You know, He started double-digit matches last year. When that back line was together, Lovitz, 
Romney, Zimmerman, and Johnston. They surrendered single-digit goals in those in those double-digit matches. I can't remember exactly the numbers. But he's beloved because I think he was the final piece to that back line. Uh, Eric Miller was maligned, perhaps a bit unfairly so, in the first two matches. He was pretty responsible for Atlanta's first goal. Didn't have a great showing in Portland in that second game. And I think fans wondered who was going to fill that gap. And the club didn't have to spend a dime of allocation money to go do that. They had, they had him on the roster. And Alistair's continued to impress and was very happy to watch that Canada-Cayman Islands qualifier <laughs> match and see him score. I was watching closely because I knew he would get some chances against the Caymans. And, boy, I think he's a great example of, of the rising tide of, of soccer in Canada. And is he, uh, is he the first Nashville player to score an international goal? That's a great question. I don't know whether Anibal Godoy did before his Nashville time. Since coming to the club, though, I'd have to look at Rondeleal in Costa Rica and see if he is if he has scored. Um, of course, yeah. He did an Olympic qualifying. I can tell you that. So if you're counting that, then yes, in, in U23 play, uh, Randall. But in terms of a competitive like Concacaf World Cup qualifier or Gold Cup, um, I think he might be. Well, we'll take it. We're yeah. more than happy to see him uh, blossom. Definitely, it's been great to see. Gary Smith was rewarded with an extension of his contract last week. So what do you make of his work with Nashville SC since he's been in charge? I think Gary has been the perfect fit for what this club wants to do because of the way he coaches and prioritizes a backbone in the club. You know, this was not going to be a club that was in the top fourth of spending in Major League Soccer, certainly not in year one or year two. And Gary is resourceful. Uh, Again, I I will argue with anyone who calls him a park-the-bus coach or an exclusively defensive coach. I think his ambitions are much greater than that. And I think when given the talent, his performance has been better than that. And I quite frankly think he's he's overachieved in Nashville by establishing that back line and then moving forward and achieving some success in the attack. I think that despite the undue criticism perhaps that he that he receives i also will say that he keeps teams in matches and again that style lends itself well to a club that it always wants to hang around and and wants to be a blue collar scrappy team that's not going to bring in a, a high priced european anytime soon although i will say the ceo of the club ian air uh, was once at liverpool and and led liverpool so we're hoping that maybe he uses that connection to get a discount i'm not sure that's going to happen uh, anytime soon but I think Gary deserves all the credit in the world for what he's done. He's always taken the club to the postseason in each of the years that he's been in Nashville, always been toward the, the top of the table or at least comfortably in the playoffs. And this year is the opportunity for him. You know, We asked him, how pleased are you? Do you feel stable, comfortable? And he said, no. He said, no way. We live in a competitive business and a few bad results, and I know where I'm going to be, and it's not going to be in this chair, despite the contract extension. So he's as hungry as ever. And I think what this contract extension does is it validates his approach and allows him to really double down on what he has done well, which is not to park the bus necessarily, but to to be structured, to be sound, and then now he's looking at not just surviving like Nashville, I think thought it might have to in year one, but how does this club thrive? How does it not just make the playoffs, but score a lot more goals and be a lot more incisive in the process. It's funny because uh, it, it, it look, it, it really looks the way that uh, MLS really has a partnership with the FFF uh, in France because it's exactly the way of thinking of the French coaches, uh, you know, building from the back, being really uh, uh, tough defensively, uh, uh, a very strong team defensively before being able to focus on attack. And it's the same thing that that we see with uh, with Nashville. So uh, the partnership seems uh, to be a good thing for for uh, for the MLS for sure. 
yeah, I wish this club was located a little closer to the Rams so we could get some nice champagne at, uh, at the matches. <laughs> but um, yeah, I definitely see that that tie-in. That's a smart observation. So um, Nashville has two former impact, as they were known in the day, players uh, that we've already mentioned, Daniel Lovitz and Eric Miller. And so what is your take on their contributions since arriving with the club, especially Lovitz, since he's been more of a key figure in the squad? Daniel has been, I think, one of the unsung heroes of this club. And it is right and reasonable that you would ask about Alistair, especially given his his Canadian cap here recently and, and all that he has done and the surprise that he has been. I think Lovitz is someone who on the other wing, you know, even I tend to, to, to take for granted a little bit. He was um, third in Major League Soccer in key passes uh, in, in week one. Part of that is that he's going to be the corner kick taker. But even then, he sent in, I believe it was 16 crosses, 11 of them from open play against Cincinnati. He's been really incisive and is somebody you can count on to get up higher and be a part of the attack and send in crosses, maybe sometimes too many crosses. And he isn't <laughs> always the most accurate crosser. But if you can hit that volume when you have a 6'3 talisman like Yonder Cadiz or CJ Sapong in there, then it's a, it's a better option than if you're Galaxy trying to do that with Chicharito, which I'm glad to see they abandoned in the second half against Miami uh, last weekend. So Lovitz has been uh, really a, a building block of this club. Also, he's somebody that when he gets forward, you can trust that he's still going to know where he is on the pitch and track back and understand his first duty. So I think the matches when Nashville has been most successful or the matches when they've been able to set him free down the left flank and have a little more time on the ball for him to pick out those crosses and have been happy to see him perform well, including a, a right-footed Golazzo in Orlando on the last day of the regular season last yeah. year, which was a lot of fun. We uh, got Eric, one of those out of him too. That's right. <laughs> and it's a, it was so funny. I don't know how you felt. It came out of nowhere for us. It was like, were you were you wanting to cross that and just got big eyes for a second? Whatever it was, do it again. Exactly. <laughs> take the shot. And you know, opponents have to respect that. When they see that he can take it onto his right and do that, then they can't just assume he's going to pack the box with another cross. Uh, Eric has been, I think, a little more of a mixed bag. Certainly in the locker room, he's, he's very appreciated and has been a, a vital part of a, a club that is one of the older clubs in, in Major League Soccer now, uh, roster-wise. He started those first two matches of the club's history, didn't have the best performances, but I think probably received undue blame, at least for uh, the Portland match for the goal that was conceded there. Since then, he's been somebody who has been contending for time. He came in, uh, stepped up in a pinch in Houston last year and started a match, I believe, on the right wing, which is not somewhere that he typically will, will be. Uh, but because that's how depleted the club was and performed well in that role. And when he's been called upon, he has he has come through there is a lot of competition on the on the right flank now at that right fullback spot. Under Alistair, Nashville has brought in Dylan Nealis from Miami recently to cultivate his youth. I can only imagine that Eric is playing a very valuable role in helping develop a young player, two young players like Dylan and Alistair at that position, and that a lot of the success that Alistair had in year one was due to the leadership that Eric was providing. Yeah, now Eric can play also as a center back and also in the midfield too. So maybe at that point, uh, you know, uh, Gary Smith will use that versatility and play him elsewhere at one point. Uh, you never know. Um, and I want to ask you, Wes, about, about Montreal. Okay, how do Nashville fans see CF Montreal? Is it an easy touch? Uh, is it a game they expect a victory of? Uh, or uh, the, the result of last week, uh, us being uh, beating uh, Toronto? 4-2 changed our mind a bit. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, how can you not ignore? How Sorry, how can you ignore that result against against Toronto? I think that was a, a real statement. You know, I, I've seen the, the MLS predictions. I listen to those, the, the pundits regularly. And I understand that most people had Montreal out of the playoffs and, and maybe they were a, a sexy pick for last place. If you can be a sexy pick for last place after Cincinnati spent so much money. But I see a group and I think the supporters see a group, the ones that are tuned in of, of talented players who are playing a system that looks like it may resemble what, what they did last year under Thierry Henry. So even though there's a new manager, there's that continuity when somebody like Wilfred Nancy has been around for as long as he has. And I think there's, there's respect, maybe grudging respect for Montreal. I think a lot of fans are looking at them perhaps a bit like they looked at, at Cincinnati, not from an emotional standpoint, because they wanted to beat the tar out of a team they've wanted to play here for years, but just from a, a respect standpoint, a club that, you know, maybe is not expected to to win MLS Cup. The minute you say that, they're going to be a contender now. Uh, but a club that, that has the talent to beat you on their day. And I think especially giving up two goals in the first 12 minutes, then you look at what Montreal did, what scoring in the, in the third minute with Mason Toy, the buildup that was so effective against Toronto, the way that, that they broke Toronto's press, which is something I think Nashville wants to probably do, is, is press and, and try to create mistakes. And they say, you know, this is going to be a match, I think, maybe with a lot of goals and a club that you certainly can't ignore. Yeah, I think the pundits have been a little bit lazy in respect of Montreal. It's been a little bit maybe out of sight, out of mind. And we've mm-hmm. seen things going on here that they maybe haven't taken notice of. So, yeah, I think you're right. Paul, I would agree with that. I know how how that feels too, because Nashville's received similar treatment in the past. Well, yeah. there you go. Now, Montreal-Nashville last year, uh, it was really a dreadful watch last season. <laughs> oh. Really a disgusting oh, game. Yeah. Uh, it was very hard to, to also cover after, you know, asking questions to the coach. I mean, like, what am I going to ask him, you know? Uh, but uh, <laughs> Montreal was really bad during that game. And Nashville was the better side and won that game. I think 1-0, I think a goal from Randall Leal. Um, but, of course, you know, Nashville at that time of the season... It wasn't really beautiful to watch last year. Uh, are we now with the first season, uh, the first game in uh, in uh, already played uh, last week against Cincinnati? Do you think that Gary Smith is going to come go back to that really defensive uh, defensive play, being really uh, tough defensively, and you know closing everything to make sure that they don't concede two goals at the beginning and maybe win by a scrappy goal like they did last year? Or do you think it's going to change this year? I think it changes this year. I think this club early in the season, at least what I've seen, they would rather err on the side of being vulnerable defensively and active in the attack than sitting back and trying to generate one nil results. 
I think even last year, the intention was to control the ball a little bit more. And, uh, I think there was an expectation that Montreal might be tired after I think they only had two days between. It's a, you know, the club had traveled across the border and had some some time with family, and which, by the way, was a great decision, even to the detriment of the soccer, to let these players have, have time with their families during a very hard time. And I think Montreal came out and showed a little more energy and, and was a little cagier and tougher to, to break down than maybe Nashville hoped. And if I recall, they played a, a four-man back line when Nashville might have thought they were going to be playing a, a three-man. And so control of the ball wasn't where Nashville wanted it to be. This year, I think, again, this club's going to be aggressive. I think that you know when you set a club record in shots, that's an indication of intention, even if you are chasing the game down 2-0 as Nashville was against FC Cincinnati. And I think the focus is going to be on continuing to create those chances and finish. What does that look like? Well, I think Gary's been clear that he'd like the press to be a little higher and more intense this year than it was last. Last year, it ended up being more of a mid-block, you know, setting traps. Cincinnati immediately played them out of the press in match one. I think they want to try to, to go back to what they want to do well, which is to create those mistakes, to press high. Uh, my my colleague on the Club and Country podcast, Tim, predicted a five goal spread. He thinks there'll be five goals in this, and who knows what the score will be? You know, when it when it's five goals, it can go back and forth. But uh, I would not be surprised by that either. I think there are going to be some goals in this one. Definitely, I think if the first game is uh, anything to to base that on from both uh, Nashville and Montreal perspectives. So, which uh, CF Montreal would you take without hesitation in Nashville, if any? Oh, there'd be plenty that I would take without hesitation in Nashville. And I, I look at some positions where I might say, oh, Mihailovic would be great, but I think Hani Mukhtar is going to produce at the 10. So, you know, I think an area of, of potential weakness for Nashville and an area of strength for Montreal is what Romel Kyoto is doing. And I think putting him in a 4-2-3-1 on Nashville's right wing would be a lot of fun. I know he can, he has that versatility. He can play on both sides. He's a dynamic player. He's experienced. He's savvy. He would fit in well on a roster like Nashville's, which is full of, of veterans who have produced. And I think what he did last year for Montreal in a pandemic shortened season with all the challenges that the club faced, still putting in, what was it? Six assists or so. I think he's so incisive down that flank and it'll be a tremendous fit for Nashville. Uh, Nashville, as he brought in Rodrigo Pinheiro, he's a 21-year-old right winger from Uruguay. They like him long-term, but he's a player who, at least in, in looking at the substitution pattern and the fact that he didn't get in against Cincinnati in a game where they needed attacking options, I don't think he's there yet. So having a veteran to come in in the meantime and play for Alex Muel, and I like Alex Muel, but... Ronald Matarita just wore him up and down the pitch. And, and Alex actually ended up averaging playing in his own end, if you look at the position map, which is not what Nashville wanted out of that uh, that match. So I think somebody like Kyoto is going to be able to control, dictate, get to the corner flag and send balls back in. And, and uh, with a couple of talismans in, in the middle of the pitch, as Nashville has, uh, depending on who they're starting at striker, I think he'd be a great fit in this roster. Well, we like him. We like him a lot up here in Montreal. So he's sorry. going nowhere. He's going nowhere. <laughs> we sorry. need him. We want him. That would be a lot of a lot of allocation money, and maybe the obvious pick there. But there are a lot of other talented players on this roster that, that you'd love to have. I think you know Samuel Piet was was solid in that first match, and listening to his comments this week leading up to the Nashville SC contest seems to be a, another strong presence and just stable guy that that you'd love to have on a roster. Brookyard. I could go on and on, but I think if you're mixing talent with 
position of need, I think right yeah. wing and Kyoto would be great. Well, you talked about having some needs, obviously. Um, are there any injury concerns before the upcoming match? So I don't have any inside knowledge on this one, but Nashville had three attackers miss the Cincinnati match, all with, I think, relatively minor injuries. But Daniel Rios missed Don Baji and Abu Dunladi. So three number nines, and then Dunladi can line up on the wing as well. And I don't know their status coming into the weekend, but certainly would, would guess that if they were out the first match that they might not be able to go at least full tilt in the second match. And that hurt Nashville more than I thought it would against Cincinnati. I guess because I thought Nashville might be ahead late against Cincinnati and not trying to get the winner. Uh, I think if you see a Nashville team that's pressing for a goal, either to equalize or to win late against Montreal, then look at the bench and see if any of those guys are there. And if they're not, then options are going to be limited um, apart from either Yonder Cadiz or CJ Sapong, whoever does not start up top. Yep. Sounds like those guys uh, could be at least doubtful then if that's, if that's the case. Um, Maybe one last question, um, Wes. Um, it, it's a difficult one, I think, anyway. But let's 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 hear what you make of it. You're the coach. Uh-oh. Give me give me one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me one reason why Nashville will beat Montreal, and give me one reason why Montreal will beat Nashville. And we also want to know your forecast at the end. Score Excellent forecast. So I think the reasons are linked. I think Nashville beats Montreal if they effectively press in Montreal's defensive end and create mistakes that can turn into goals. Nashville loses to Montreal if that press doesn't work. Montreal goes over the top and uses the speed of Mihailovic and Kyoto and the presence of Toy to make Nashville pay, as Cincinnati did in the eighth minute of that match. I think... Not to not to make the match that straightforward, although I would not be accused of being a master tactician, but I think that may be where this game is won and lost. And I say that knowing that that's what happened to Toronto, right? Uh, Montreal forced those one-on-ones with center backs, and Omar Gonzalez is not quite the Omar Gonzalez that we saw in, in L.A., and uh, you know, Singh is a player who I think has promise but is young and maybe wasn't quite ready for that moment, and, and Montreal saw a team tired from CCL play and took full advantage. And I would expect them to try to do the same thing again. And when you have people in the middle like Wanyama and Piet who can provide stability for you, you can take some of those chances and blast the ball downfield and see what you can do. But if Nashville can create those mistakes along the back line, then I think they will have some quick strike opportunities and players who are going to be ready to seize on those opportunities. In terms of a forecast, since I'm calling the match, I, I'm uncomfortable giving a score line, but I will give a couple of predictions. I think that these teams will combine for at least 30 shots. I'm relatively comfortable saying that. Uh, you know, Nashville took 31 on its own against Cincinnati. I'd be stunned. I'd give you all my money if that happened again, uh, certainly the way that match transpired. But I think it's a team that's going to come out aggressively. These teams combined for 22 shots last year. And I think we'll see a much more interesting, exciting match. And then I think there are at least four goals in this match. I won't uh, up the ante to my colleague who said five. I think that that could be pushing it, but it still would not surprise me. And I I see goals in this. I think if I were an odds maker, I'd say maybe three and a half or four is my over under that I'm setting and would be comfortable exceeding that um, if I if I were a better on sports. Of course, if I bet on MLS, I'd have no money left at all uh, because who knows? So now we're going to see a scoreless draw now that I say that. Uh, but I think there will be goals. I think there will be shots. I think we're going to see a, an up and down, back and forth match. And while last year it surprised me when anybody scored against Nashville, it uh, I think it would surprise me to see a clean sheet in this one. 
Well, there you go. You heard it here first. Wes Bowling, Nashville Soccer Club's radio analyst and the co-host of Club and Country says there's going to be goals on Saturday. Here they come. We'll, we'll look forward to that. We just hope Montreal get more than Nashville, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wes, it's been great having you on. Thanks, thanks a lot. And uh, I hope uh, you'll come and see us uh, the next time uh, we, we, we're about to play Nashville and, and help us to preview the game as well. So good luck. You said I think you're calling the game on Saturday. Good luck with that too. And um, all the best. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Great speaking with you. Can't wait to get across the border as soon as it opens. Good stuff. We look, maybe we'll meet you for a beer. You never know. Cheers. Creamore Springs Premium Lager. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks a lot. So talking of predictions, uh, we had a look last week at our top three choices for Eastern Conference and Western Conference. And uh, I think the five teams that came up in our choices last, uh, last week for Eastern Conference top three amongst the four of us, um, Philly, Columbus, Orlando, Atlanta, and New England. Every one of them drew. <laughs> so, um, so we're kind of all in the same boat there. And uh, as far as it goes in the West, uh, the teams that we looked at, there were wins for LAFC, LA Galaxy, and Seattle. Sporting Kansas got a draw. And the big losers were Minnesota, who went down 4-0 at Seattle. I thought that was a... Uh, I didn't see that coming. I could see, obviously, Seattle beating them at home, but it was a hell of a, a margin, 4-0. And Portland, who were surprisingly undone by Canadian international Lucas Cavallini and uh, going down to the Whitecaps. So it's a little bit early to, to kind of look at, at, at how our, our, our predictions are going for top three in each of the conferences. But um, just a reminder who the teams are, and we'll start looking at that uh, on a weekly basis as well. Now, the one thing we want to talk about um, is is the appointment of the three captains. Um, a bit of an unusual one for me, um, a bit of a new one for me, but what do we all think? The impact, the, not the impact, CF Montreal appointing three captains. I think it's a bit unusual, but, you know, maybe this is just the way football's changing, is it? That's the, that's like the hockey way of doing things. <laughs> I, I, mm-hmm. I really don't like that. Um, I think, yes, of course, you have different captains in the dressing room, and that's normal. You have different leaders in the dressing room, and that's completely normal. But you have to assign one captain. You have to assign someone that has the, the title in order to... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, it's a point of reference in a dressing, dressing room, the captain. It's, it's someone that unites you. It's someone that, that, that's really here for, to, to help you, uh, you know, e- either get, um, you know, uh, either get into the team mentally or physically or whatever that pushes you, that, that shows you how, how, how it's done, how the work is done and introduces to the city, to the club and everything. So there's so many things that the captain can do. And yes, three players can do that, but are you going to create that where a new player comes in and 
doesn't know who to speak with, so he has a choice of three people. I, I think it's better to have to don't to not have the choice. You have one captain, you go to him, and he tells you everything. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm not a fan of of having three co-captains. Uh, I think that you can have like an order of captains, like you have the captain and you have two assistants, or, you know, if the captain's not available, there's a second one or there's a third one. And that's a vice captain and a third one after that's usually normal, but I don't like the fact of not, not naming a captain. It feels like nobody wants to take the responsibility or Nazi is too afraid to give their responsibility to one in a dressing room. And I don't like that. Yeah. I was, I was kind of uh, befuddled by the, the choice as well and I don't disagree necessarily with the leadership qualities of Sam Piet of Victor Wanyama or based on what we saw certainly on Saturday Kamal Miller but like you said I I totally agree maybe it's an old school of thought but there is generally one principal guy who they're gonna all look up to and it's kind of weird to get to pick which captain you want to approach if you're having some difficulties or something. That's it's not exactly how I saw it because you know, it's, uh, as much as they they're gonna say, "Oh, we're a united group, we're all together." In in a big group, there's always smaller groups. So, did the coaching staff identify maybe three groups ish, and? found out maybe someone that everyone through the groups could lean on as their captain. Because, you know, I've played in teams that, okay, you have one captain, but you don't feel necessarily identified to because you're he's always with the same people and not really connecting with you. And don't forget, now they're in Florida, they're living together. So, you know, the, the, the clicks, the clicks, if you want, within the group are going to be even more together and in it's it's and I mean I know people will say well you, it shouldn't be that way but it's just normal you know when you go to work you're going to connect more with certain people and the fact that they they name three captains who are going to work together they're going to they're going to be able to probably give information and feed off what's going on within you know the people they're closer to so that's that's a bit how I saw it so I didn't see it as a bad thing I saw it maybe as something is going on there and they found a, a creative way to you know to to deal with it probably yeah you know what if it if it works it works it it doesn't i'm a bit in in harry's camp here it, it doesn't really sit right with me and i, I think it the, my, my first reaction was it was it was a weakness in the part maybe of the coach um in, in not selecting one person but you know the other thing you got to say about the coach he's not done an awful lot wrong yet so it's it's maybe it's maybe harsh to say that and i think you know when you think about um some of the things he has done um he he i'm sure he's a people person he told everyone about how he sat down with mason toy try and understand the sort of personality he had because he felt mason was was being too hard on himself and all that kind of stuff so you know i i, I think he definitely has those qualities so i mean he's obviously done it for a reason he obviously thinks it's the right way to go we just gotta wait and see but um it's certainly i don't think the way that i would have gone um guys we wanted to talk about um the Olympics. Uh, the draw was made this morning in Tokyo for the groups in the women's Olympic soccer tournament, and uh, Canada were drawn alongside Great Britain, Japan, 
the hosts and Chile. Um, thoughts? Oh man, it's the group of death, I would call it. <laughs> Um, I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination for the Canadian team. But is any group going to be a walk in the park? You, you know, you've only 12 teams there, three groups and four. I think every group's kind of tight. Listen, no? listen you, have three group, you have three groups, okay? Uh, the top two of each group go, go, uh, go to the next round. And the top two third-place teams also go to the next round, okay? Look at the group F. China, Brazil, Zambia, Netherlands. For me, it's a walk in a park for Nether- the Netherlands and Brazil. Uh, it, it is a walk in a park because the Netherlands are way up there. China is not the, the team that it used to be. Uh, Brazil is, is still a strong team, even if they have some 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 very average games also sometimes so netherlands are going to be at the top of the group with nine points no questions asked asked for sure and then the second place is going to be played between china and and and, and brazil i would be really su surprised if it's anything else and i'd be very surprised if zambia gets even one point out of this uh, group and i'm sorry for all the zambians now for the group g You have the USA, you have Sweden, you have Australia, you have New Zealand. Uh, Australia is a very used to be a very good team. They're still pretty okay. They have a great goal scorer with Sam Kerr. That's really amazing. Um, but the rest of the group is kind of average. Uh, Sweden is a very, very, very good defensive team, but offensively they're not really. They're kind that of one-dimensional. Exactly, they are. And USA, okay, the only thing is that Sweden is a bit of the... Um, of the... the uh, uh, Achilles heel. Sorry. Yeah, the Achilles heel, exactly, of the US. So uh, it's it's really, you know, they, they, they've beaten them a few times. So maybe that will maybe be a good match to, to, uh, to watch. But, you know, it's going to be played between... US is going to be first, and the second place is going to be played between Sweden and, and Australia. Whereas in, in, the, in the group E of Canada, anybody can be first, not Chile. Maybe the Ch Japan, Canada, and Great Britain, anybody can be first. But so, Canada is going to qualify. But qualifying is not, we're talking about the group of death, right? Yeah, I know, but they, they, they are going to get through to the last. The last It all eight, depends. I'm sure. oh, I'm It sure all they depends. If they, if, they lose, if they lose 3 0 against Japan and then lose uh, 2 0 against Great Britain and they win 1 0 against Chile, uh, maybe they'll, be, they'll, they'll not be between the two. Uh, okay, best but I, 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 don't think that, I don't think that's going to happen. I think if they lose to Japan and they lose to Great Britain, they'll lose by one goal. They'll beat Chile. They'll, they'll go through. They may get a draw in one of those other games as well. But the problem about finishing third is you meet the team that finishes first in the quarterfinals in the USA's group. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why it's the group of death. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. That's so my, uh, um, that's, the, that's the Olympics, which take place uh, at the end of July and the first week in August. So we want to talk about greed, greed, and more greed. Super League. Rest in peace. It's been described as the cartel before the horse. 
guys, this was absolutely disgusting what we went through this week. It was a great result ultimately, but this was disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's it was it was such a whirlwind because at some point it looked locked in and it looked as if, you know, almost football had died practically. But so quickly the, the protests came out and you, you saw the you know the richness of, of of the fans and how you know even you would see pundits going out. We saw Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, you know, I'm talking about my Manchester United, uh, Rio Ferdinand, Roy Keane, they were absolutely disgusted, you know, about what was going on. And you couldn't find one positive reaction to, to that mm-hmm. Super League. So now you're at home thinking. But who's gonna go see these games, and who's gonna pay to sit in the in the stands? And I mean, it it, it was such a such a you know a tornado of of information and emotions for me. I'm just I'm just happy it's done and dusted, and we, you know it's it's gonna be a joke more than anything now because it was it wasn't looking good at all for for 24 hours or so. But these guys kind of- these. Go ahead, Eve. These I was just going to say these guys need to get out of the game, but Absolutely. go ahead, Eve. Oh, yeah. No, ahead, Eve. I was going to say it's kind of scary because, you know, these owners, they are the ones in power at these clubs and they have the ability to, to make these ludicrous decisions. So just I think the fact that it got as far as it did uh, is kind of scary for football going forward. Having these, you know, mega rich super ultra billionaire owners uh who have no investment in the game itself but just in the monetary aspect of it i think it's kind of concerning for football going forward because clearly the line has been drawn when it comes to the chairs the boards the ownership and so on that they're in this for one thing and one thing only and that is the bottom line yeah I think, Harry, you think about it too, um, it was almost as if because of what happened, all of a sudden the Premier League, UEFA and FIFA were able to reclaim the the, the moral high ground. And there are three organisations I would never shed a tear for um, at all because they are complicit in this, whether, whether they like to hear that or not. The only thing I would say about them is they're the lesser of two evils. Uh, that's that's a, a, a very long discussion that we can have. Maybe uh, we can we can do a whole podcast on that. Um, I think I'm happy that it's not going through. Uh, now, what Eve said is that, and I really like what she said is that some some something really went wrong here. You know, the fact that it went that far is bad for football. It's very bad for football, and. The UEFA and the FIFA have to find a way to punish those clubs. And yeah, but, yeah, but hold on, can I just jump in there? Should they punish those clubs, or should those should you punish those owners? Because owners. if you punish but, those clubs, who are you really punishing? The yes. fans. Exactly. But yeah, but you know what? But how do you punish the how owners punish without the owners? punishing the club? I, I don't know. I think something needs <laughs> to happen at a governmental level, at a legislative level. You can't um, do anything on, on a legal side. Well, 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 I, well, is- I, well, I don't know if you can or not. And, and you might be right. Maybe there's nothing you can do. But I would love to see Europe 
the rest of Europe, certainly the big countries in Europe, moved towards something like the German model, where 50% of every club, 51. at least 51% of every club Beautiful. is supporter-owned. That's, go- that's going to have to happen. Yeah, I completely or, or, agree. Or this will happen again. I, I completely yeah. agree with you. And, and that's, that's, that, that's the utopia of, of, uh, of soccer. Right. Uh, that's that's what we want to see. And if Germany was able to do it. Why not the rest of the, the European clubs or right. even why not the rest of the world clubs? Right. Because I would love to see that also here in MLS and oh. everywhere in the world. Right. Uh, because this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, football is maybe owned by 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 some some, you know, uh, millionaires and everything. But it's it's sustainable because because of us fans. Right. It, it's it's profitable because of us fans, because we go to the games and we live for soccer and we watch the soccer and we buy products and we do everything. It's not the owner that does anything. The owner is it just invests money. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. But let's go back to the problem and the, to the root of the problem, the root of the problem. And we've talked about this a long time here and a lot of times here um, in in uh, the ball is run. And even before when we used to do soccer by Paul and Hardy, I. The problem is the UEFA gave that much strength to those clubs. With all the reforms that the Champions League has seen in the past 30, 40 years, they gave even more power to the clubs. And they told them, you know what, we're going to make, we're going to help you. And the, and the Premier League. And the Premier League. Not only the Premier League, because if you look at... No, no, right and, now, and I agree with you on UEFA, but and the Premier League, they've oh, created yeah, this yeah. too. But we're talking more on, on a European point of view. But yeah, you're right with the Premier League. But uh, what I really don't like is that now the UEFA is coming and saying, oh, yeah, oh, look at what they did. But you did that. They did. You yep. created that. You created those monsters. You did that. Yep. So... It's time for the UEFA to come back and, 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 and look at what they did. But the problem is they even made a, it took a, an even worse decision with the new format of the Champions League that's coming Agreed. in in 2024. And that's even worse. It's awful. It's shocking. It's, it's even worse because all the strong teams, all the rich teams are going to be qualified every year where whatever they're there but, but, but they, they tried to do that to appease these people to stop them going in a but it was in works. and they're doing something similar, yeah right? but it was in works before it, it has been in works uh you know for for a few years now and and european soccer league has been uh, they've been talking about it for what for 15 years now paul mm. for 15 it, years they've been but, talking about it you know you know what the greed and the arrogance the arrogance and and if i if i look at the six clubs in england right yeah three american owned one abu dhabi one russian and there's only tottenham which i believe is english owned at least i think you don't really know these days liverpool liverpool no no that's american john w henry fsg group that's absolutely american so you've taught them and it's it's daniel levy right and yeah you're right right, that's the only one that's english owned yeah, At least right. we think we think it is. Who knows these days, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the arrogance that these guys felt that they could just steamroller everybody in a hundred and plus years of history and go for this mm-hmm. uh, without any problems. And I think they came out after a day and said, yeah, we were expecting a backlash. Well, you know what? They got more of a backlash than they were expecting. There was not one, there was not one voice 
that spoke up to back their idea Nobody. in the family of football. And it actually made you feel incredibly good. It made you feel really, really proud. And football is as tribal as it gets in the UK, believe me, guys. And everybody joined together in unison against this. It was actually quite impressive. And it was quite impressive as well how quickly it all tumbled like a house of cards. Beautiful. But these guys need to go. They've got to go. How can they ever be trusted again? <laughs> I'm not sure. They're all in place still. So I'm not sure well, what's going to happen now. And, uh, you know, can the Premier League, the governments, uh, whatever, the UEFA force them to sell? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think, I think the whole of football in Europe needs a, a complete reset. And that includes the governing body, UEFA. FIFA obviously needs fixed too, but I, I don't know how you do it, but um, it's I, impossible. I hope some people are going to look at a lot of this stuff a lot more closely than what they have in the past because it's ridiculous. That's the thing. I it can't get swept under the rug, I don't think. Mm. I, I, I mean, I, you, you look at the Glazers at Manchester United. They've been there 15 years. They've taken out $2 billion from the club. $2 billion. They've financed their purchase of the club using the club's profits as their collateral. Like, how ridiculous is that? Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah. that's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, okay. We'll see what's going to happen. Okay, okay, okay. At least we got the right result at the end of the day. But I think there's more to come on this one. And I really hope there is, because I don't think the people that, that I've been listening to in the UK, Gary Neville's been a star, so has Jimmy Carragher. Yeah. Um, they're not about to let this drop. No, they're no. not stopping at oh, this. No. They're not letting this drop, and it's fantastic to hear it. Yep. So it's time for Sam's social media. Yes, and of course, of course, social media was on fire as usual this week, but even more because we were playing. So you know, people were more excited. They were tweeting much more. So I've got five good ones this week, and I'll start with uh, Branito on Twitter. That was a long. Uh, it was a you know. Two tweet posts, but I'll read it out altogether. Bernito says, players should keep grinding in silence and proving everyone wrong. And eventually, if that happens, everything will even out. Provides a good source of motivation. And if they can be consistent with results and use these rankings as positive source of motivation, we can witness a very interesting season. One that most definitely will be very fun to watch. It, can get, it can't get over their heads, especially one win. If they stay humble while using their confidence, they are capable of doing great things and surprising many people this year. I just want to say, I forgot to say before, it's, uh, it was in response to MLS's power rankings before mm-hmm. uh, the first game that Bernito was, uh, was talking about. Yeah. So I think he's right. Eh? Yeah, yeah, he is right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's, exactly. buying, he's, he's buying on, and I just—I'll finish my part of this by saying I hate power rankings. I think they're a lot. Of, yeah, <laughs> they are. They very, are very American. <laughs> they be, they base themselves on their own predictions that really don't make sense. So Montreal starts at the twenty seventh spot, and now they won against Toronto, and they move up seven spots, and they're in twentieth spot. So. You know, at least last year, we used to see power rankings where we used to get a good win and we used to go up from the 27th position to the 26th. At least this year, we moved up seven places. So that's, <laughs> that's a bit better. But yeah, it, it, don't, it doesn't make sense at all, these power rankings. Not at all. No, no. But you know what? It's, it, for us, you know, it's been a source of motivation for sure for the players. So I think it's a good thing that they ranked us that low. So yeah. 
let's let's yeah. keep it on. Uh, GF Senecal on Twitter. It's not the first time he's been on our social media mm-hmm. fire. GF. Uh, he tweets analysis after 24 hours. The biggest change is the loss of Ruti. Seriously, if he was there, I doubt we score two. Renard is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and you know what's Houston. funny? I was about to say he scored for Houston, yeah. <laughs> ironically. And you know but what? And, he, scored and the he, opened, he scored three in the opening two games for his last year and hardly true. got another one after that, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you something. In, in, in the system that Tab Ramos in Houston is, is, is playing, Ruti is the, is the right fit. Because he, he's playing with a high press and Ruti is is really good with the high press. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, now maybe he's not gonna score much, but maybe maybe they don't want him for his scoring abilities. Now in Montreal, uh, we needed him for his scoring abilities that he's doesn't have. So <laughs> that, yeah, I agree with the G, uh, GF. Absolutely, hundred percent. And, and Renard might be a genius. It's too early to tell, but yeah, I think we all have observed and we all like what we see so far. So thumbs up there. Yeah, and we, we've got another tweet on uh, Renard. It's Patrick at uh, pdubs13 on Twitter. Uh, it's pretty incredible that our best players today were all acquired through intra-MLS trades. If all or, mu- or must sorry, of Renard's acquisition work out again this year, CF Montreal will prove the dollars wrong. Sorry, yeah. please, please. As of right now, it's still early, but yeah. I was one of the only guys that praised those two trades. Uh, Mihailovic and Miller are really, really good additions. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, it, it's important that we remember that those players are MLS players. And even Kamal Miller comes from the draft. Yeah. Yes, the draft. <laughs> You know what? Even Eric Hurtado, when he came in as a sub, I I know like he was a free agent when we signed him. However, nonetheless, he came in and I thought he put in a damn good hustle for the 30 odd minutes he played, you know, plus getting the assist on Mihailovic's goal. So even though that's more of a depth signing, nonetheless, I still thought that was a a wise signing and he was well used. So plenty of experience too. I mean, he, Eric Hurtado has played more games in MLS than anyone else in our current squad. That's great. And you know what? I think we should, we should give a shout out to Vasily Kurmanzidis because Olivier yeah. Renaud said how much Kurmanzidis knows about the players in the league. And he yeah. often leans on Kurmanzidis for these type of, of trade mm-hmm. and acquisitions. So he's, he's not named enough, I think, but he's had a very big impact since he's been here. Uh, we'll move on to uh, Max uh, at Max Poliquin on Twitter. And he was responding to a TFC tweet citing their famous always in our shadow. So Max replies, Bradley was in Wanyama's shadow on that tour goal. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Should have done his shoulders, I think, at the gym. Oh, man. And uh, the last one, Mathieu Gaudreau on Twitter. The end of the Super League proves that football belongs to fans and not to bankers and image makers, to the best of my mind. Yeah, that's a bit too, too, like, yeah. UEFA is all about money, so (laughs) don't forget that, guys. So, but yeah, I agree with the the whole idea behind it. Yes, you know, 
uh, fans won that battle. Now, I hope that fans will win the other battle because most of the fans around the earth want to see a European Champions League uh, with only the champions being qualified or maybe the champions and the second place teams uh, and, and seeing, you know, all the teams across Europe represented, mm. all the countries across Europe represented. So that's another war that, that, should, be, uh, that, should, that should be fought by fans now. But it's great because it was fans, players, coaches, football people in general. Absolutely incredible the way everybody came together. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So like you said, Eddie, the fans uh, won the battle. We just don't know for the war yet, but we hope so. We really hope so. So uh, these were our five uh, social media stars of the week. And, uh, you know, anyone who listens... You can you can you can hit us up at TBRR if you want one of your tweets to be read out during a, a show, or just keep on tweeting and we're always looking for for you guys the best out there. So if you do tweet something crazy or really interesting, you'll be part of our show on any given week. So uh, that's it for social media, and I'll leave it up to Eve for Time Machine. Thanks so much, Sam. So guys, we're going to hop in our time machine and I have been desperately missing going to soccer games. So let me tell you, I'm thinking about some places today. So let's hop on in. So today, guys, I want to know about the most beautiful soccer stadium you've ever visited. And Patty, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I was going to be very original. I'm going to be very original today. Um, Or, yeah, original for someone like me. You know, I know that everybody thinks that I'm going to talk about the velodrome and and Marseille Stadium and everything. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm (laughs) not. Because it was too easy this time. So I was like, okay. I didn't visit visit a lot of stadiums uh, in my life, unfortunately. Uh, But... There's a stadium that I really visited and I was really happy to visit. Um, it's not going to be very original because I, I think a lot of people visited that stadium. And it is a camp now in Barcelona. Mm. Um, I went to, to Barcelona not too long ago with, uh, with my wife before we had a kid. And, uh, you know, we, we were staying that for five days. And one of the main attractions for me was to go visit the stadium because there wasn't any games. It was during the summer. There wasn't any games that was going to be played. And we decided to take a tour with a, you know, a, a touring company or whatever it is uh, that was really specialized into soccer. Like it, it's, it was soccer fans that, that would, you know, do the, the, the guide of, of the tour. And I really liked that because I learned so much from the tour guide, first of all, and and the whole complex is so amazing. It's so big. It's ancient also. It's not a new stadium, right? So you, you feel the history when you go in. You really feel the history in that stadium. Uh, it was amazing. And there's also a museum inside of the stadium also that's really amazing where you see all the golden balls that were that were won by, by Lionel Messi. Uh, it's I'm sure replicas for sure, but that uh, needs its own. That needs its own museum by this point. Yeah, but it, it's crazy. It was really a, a really really nice uh, a tour that we had, and uh, I just want to say thanks to Nilton George, who, who was the one that really gave me uh, that uh, the contacts for that tour guide, and uh, 
because he was he went to Barcelona maybe a few months before me. So I sent him a message and I'm like, please send me your contact because I want to live the same thing because it was really interesting where he lived. And I really liked the experience altogether that was offered to me. I could feel like I, I would love to watch a game there. I'm sure Paul has watched a thousand games there, but one, only one, only <laughs> what? one. What? What? What's going on? 1999 Champions League final is the only game I've watched there. Wow, not wow, a bad choice. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I, I would really love to watch a game where Barcelona was playing because I'm sure the 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 the, the atmosphere is. Will be majestic because the stadium is is epic. Is really epic. No, that's it's a beautiful stadium. I think we've all heard so much about it, and good to know. If nothing, how do you have a career in marketing for the Camp No Stadium ahead of you? If, if you. ever your various other <laughs> ventures don't work out, uh, Paul. Which stadium, dare I ask, is the most beautiful stadium you've ever set foot in? Because you've actually visited many, many in the past. Yeah, can it can I be predictable though? Old Trafford. No, 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 no. Oh, Glentoran, Glentoran. You know, Old, Old Trafford's Old Trafford's special in its own way, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be my favorite. Um, Alrighty then. Well, um, you're gonna surprise me. So uh, well, maybe I'm not. I think Hattie's kind of on the right lines. I, I'd be lying if I didn't say the one where I've watched the most matches, and uh, it's the Oval in Belfast, home of home of Glentorn. And it actually, <laughs> you know, it actually has a fascinating history. A, a friend of mine about four years ago actually wrote a book, which kind of he had to it had to be reprinted because it was so popular. Now it's very specialist, and it's really only of interest maybe to people at home, but. Um, there's a, there's a great history about the uh, about the ground as well, and for me, I have just so many memories there, including including the last time I saw George Best play uh, in in the flesh. Um, and George was a supporter of the club um, back in the day when he when he was a kid. His grandfather lived kind of two streets away. But um, like I said, it, it is a fantastic history, including being flattened by German bombs when they blitzed Belfast. They were trying to hit uh, the shipyard and, and the aircraft factory, which became Bombardier. And um, they obviously missed with some of the bombs and it completely ruined the stadium. Glentorn did not play at home for seven years. Um, and, and there's still a little, there's a big green bank up at the back. Uh, and it's a very traditional looking football sort of British football ground and um, you've probably heard about the, the ground hopper scheme across Europe and they get they get about 50 people every home game coming uh, before the pandemic uh, and they do tours and they give a history of the Oval and stuff like that so they've all these people coming from Belgium the Czech Republic from um, Holland from France you know all coming for these tours and the, the friend of mine who I just told you about who wrote the book he actually conducts the tours and it's really well worth a visit if you're over there. So there's my market pitch as well. But um, you know what? I, I, they still have this little, um, uh, they call it like a pillbox and it's a little brick house that sits up at the top of this green bank and it's got a view right over Belfast Lock. And they used to use it during the war um, to, to watch for the German bombers coming towards Belfast. And Glentorn still actually get uh, rent from the British government, one pounds per year. 
<laughs> for having that in in their stadium. Yeah, but anyway, I, that's just a little uh, that's just a little thing. But can outside I do of that, that, can I rent the oval? Just you know, I can afford it. Yeah, you probably you could afford that little house, right? But it smells of pee inside, so you probably. Oh, no. <laughs> ah, that's disgusting. <laughs> no, it, it actually doesn't, you know, because they've fixed it up with all the camouflage on it. So for you know, with this tour, so they've actually cleaned it up. But it used to smell of, you know. Oh God. Anyway. Okay, um, well. But I'm glad we end on such a note. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd say to that, like, whisper this, right? But Anfield is brilliant. Atmosphere second. Oh, oh, oh you didn't yeah. say that. You didn't brilliant. say that. And I've seen Manu win twice there, which is which is great. Um, and the the atmosphere in those days were fantastic too, because that really gets their backs up. So the atmosphere is special when United are there and they're winning. Um, Goodison Park's great. Loved Goodison. Used to go there all the time when I was going to see United. I would have gone to see Everton on Saturday, United on Sunday, or vice versa. Remember going to a night game between QPR and Liverpool one time, a night match at Loftus Road. I left the stadium saying, if I lived in London, this is where I'd watch my football. Loftus Road, brilliant. But there's something special about games at night with the floodlights too. Yeah. Turf Moor Burnley's another one. Villa Park, great place. The old White Hart Lane. I love all, all the, the old UK stadiums. stadiums right? I love, yes. <laughs> well, those, are the ones, those are the ones I've been to most, but I love all those. I love all those um, old, old British stadiums. They're absolutely fantastic. I, I, I'm not so keen on all these new structures that are going up, to be perfectly honest, because they don't have anywhere near the character of the old stadiums. But I'll finish with one, which is not UK. Um, and I've been here a couple of times, the West Fallon Stadium at Dortmund or whatever sponsor's oh, name it comes wow. under now. Oh, yeah. With oh, that wow. big yellow wall of fans. I really want to go there. Yeah. Great I place. really want to go there. 66,000 people there. I saw Brazil beat, uh, who did I see Brazil beat there? Um, I think it was Japan 4-1 in the World Cup, but I also went there to see Dortmund and uh, it's a fantastic place. Wow. Right on. Wow, well... Thank you for reminding us of your wonderful travels. <laughs> Thank you, boy. But no surprise you bring us back to Glentoran. Lovely. It's home. <laughs> exactly. And last but certainly not least, Sam, which stadium is your favorite that you've ever visited or okay, the most so, beautiful? Well, the, you can pick two. It's okay. I'll let you pick two. No, Paul, no, pick no, big I, 75. I, yeah, no. No, I really, I, I chose one and it's it's really a special one for me. It, you know, we, I went there in 2007 and there's a little story behind it. So I'll, I'll go through it. It was when I was playing for the now defunct uh, Club de Soccer Bourassa and the, and the Quebec um, Ligue de Soccer Relais Quebec. And uh, so we went to Italy for our preseason uh, training camp, and it was more precisely in Vittorio Veneto, which is really up north in Italy, almost almost touching the you know uh, Switzerland. And uh, AC Milan, in fact, had had a training facility over there. So when they when they went to play up north, they could train at the, uh, in Vittorio Veneto before their games. And I don't know if it still exists, but it, it was in in two thousand and seven. And so, you know, we were training really hard uh, during the time we were over there. We were living kind of that Italian life. And, you know, sh- sure enough, they offered us to, to go to San Siro to watch a game uh, of uh, AC Milan. And uh, so obviously we said yes. And it was against <laughs> uh, Chievo Verona. Which, oh, wow. Yeah, it cool. was a bottom, bottom of the um, bottom table team at the time. Uh, and I think they were relegated that year. 
But what was very, very special, it was in 2007, there was this massive ban of stadium in Italy because of the violence, you know, and there were very few stadiums that were open to public and San Siro was one of them. So we were lucky enough to, to have access to San Siro. And, uh, you know, the venue is absolutely beautiful. You know, you can sense all the historic feel when you, when you get there. And, you know, for us, 15 years old at that time, it was, it was an overwhelming experience, you know. And um, so that's it. And what, what, uh, one thing I have to say, because uh, it, it was pretty special to see, is because of that ban mm -hmm. that was ongoing in Italy, uh, Kiev Verona, I thought, I think they were, they had 50 fans over uh, at San Siro. They put them in a corner, you know, they could barely yeah. see them. Like out. up in the nosebleeds, kind of. Yeah, exactly. And they, they must have had like 250 security marshals against, uh, <laughs> probably didn't even see the game. But, you know, for us, it was absolutely brilliant. We were, we were seated so close to, to, you know, to, to the field. And they told us beforehand that we would probably need, you know, binoculars to see the game, how high we were supposed to be, but we were just next to the field. It was crazy. And the funny thing, I remember when we got, because we took a bus to get there, and when we got to San Siro, uh, we had an extra ticket that was, uh, you know, they, they had too many tickets, so they offered it to our bus driver, <laughs> and he refused. He preferred to read his book, you know, in the bus. <laughs> my god day, and i was just and like, i tell you preferred like, to man, sit in a read his is, book okay exactly i was like man this is the best you know best day of my life and this guy just wants to read his book in his bus you know for during the game so yeah we we definitely realized must that be uh, an inter fan or a, or a juventus fan or something oh, maybe <laughs> but still you know it's, it was crazy for us and uh, yeah that that was probably the cherry on the on the cake of our our training cap in Italy. No, that sounds Central. fantastic. Yeah. No, I'm super jealous. <laughs> and you? Unfortunately, oh. yeah. <laughs> What's yours? So unfortunately, I have visited a few stadiums in Europe, but the only stadiums I've ever visited in Europe were like honestly really average-looking stadiums. Like they didn't. They just like a bigger version of a lot of your average MLS stadium. So I think I just made bad choices in the cities I chose to visit. Um, the best stadium I actually visited in Europe was a rugby stadium because I thought I was visiting the soccer stadium because the Cardiff Blues and Cardiff City Football Club, like oh. it was actually really easy to mix them up. Okay, at least on the internet in 2012. So for me, um, I visited a lot more North American stadiums than I have visited European or at least interesting European stadiums. Certainly no stadiums with the historical context that you guys brought to the table. But definitely the most, I think, mind-blowing stadium I ever visited was Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, mm. which is brands making new. It's the complete opposite end of the spectrum of all the places you guys talked about mm. and I think I would definitely love to see a, a stadium with such a rich history as the ones you guys mentioned but I gotta tell you man that shiny shiny giant stadium chock full of fans it was pretty cool and everything and there was just so much so much action in the stadium there were so many places to visit the building itself was all lit up and it's all geometrical. It was and during the uh, the All-Star game that you went It was, right? yeah, yeah, in 2018. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so um, 
I booked like, I literally decided to go the day before the game. (laughs) Um, So I I wasn't even meant to be there. (laughs) And um, it, it was really cool. And it was actually, I think, not even the stadium itself, but it was the fact that I got to meet up with a lot of um, my fellow Switch the Pitch writers for the very first time. Mm. And so it made it to be a, a really memorable experience beyond just um, just how cool the, the brand new stadium was and just to see the developments that have happened in soccer. And then you went back to Stetsipudo, but you still have your humble home oh, under yeah, the floodlights yeah. any mm. day. But anyway, thank you guys for humbling me with my uh, lack of cool historical stadiums in my life. And nobody mentioned the big O. Oh, Oh, come on, man. No. 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 We love the big O, but yeah. It is crazy. Do we? Do we? Yeah, but we've had some good nights in, in, oh, in the big hole, right? The yeah, Pachuca game, the and then even the Club America final. Oh, it it yeah, was okay. You know, that, we that, had fun. That, that Pachuca goal, the, the Porter oh, goal, man. is still <laughs> still the highlight for me of, of watching the impact uh, ever, ever. Yeah. 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 Um, I, there's one there's one stadium I meant to mention that didn't was Jeffrey Guichard. Um yeah. San Etienne. Oh, uh, I've been there a couple yeah. of times, Harry. It's very like the old Anfield. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I never went there, but there's nothing to do in Saint Etienne, so I don't know what you went to do <laughs> yeah, there, there. There isn't much to do, but we found a restaurant afterwards, <laughs> and I, I met somebody at the Euros that I hadn't seen for years, a fellow Glen Torn fan, so we had a good night. But okay. anyway. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, time for the three-question quiz. Thanks very much for that, um, Eve. That was another really good topic, stadiums. Um Good stuff. Keep uh, keep keep coming up with good uh, good suggestions and, and original ideas. So um, well done. Uh, the three question quiz. So we're standing at Eve two, Sam two, and Harry one. Yoo-hoo! Finally off the mark. And our subject this week, and I've got a tie break as well in case we finish level. Our subject this week is our Nashville experience. Like the game that we played against Nashville last year. <laughs> okay. Uh, something like that, but maybe a little bit more. But anyway, um, we'll start off with number one and we'll go Eve to you first and then we'll go Sam and then we'll go Hattie, right? So the first question, you're right. It's a little bit difficult to find questions in Nashville for obvious reasons, right? But the first one, the 1-0 defeat to Nashville Eve at Red Bull Arena last season was the last time which player ever took the field for Montreal? Was it A, Orji Okwonko, B, Bojan Kirkic, C, Yuka Raitala, D, Maxi Arudi, or E, George Corrales, Jorge Corrales? I'm going to say Raitala. Raitala. Sam? Uruti. Uruti. Hari? Uruti. It was Maxi Uruti. Okay. So one up to the guys, Eve. You, you got you to yeah. come back here in number two, right? Reclaim my dignity. Here we go. Which player, and this will go to Sam first this time, which player had a goal disallowed in the 84th minute of last season's 1-0 defeat by Nashville at Red Bull Arena. Sam. 
Oh, okay. I've got to read the mic, don't I? So is it A, okay, is it A, Rommel Kyoto, B, Bojan, C, Orgiakwonko, D, Maxi Aruti, or E, Balu Tabla? I think it was Balu. Is that your answer? Yeah, it would be my answer. Okay, Harry? Boyan, I think. You go for Bojan and Eve. Hold on. There was Boyan. There was. Boyan. It out again. I think it was Boyan as well, actually. Is that your answer? Hold on. What were the choices again? Okay. It was A. Kyoto, B. Boyan, C. Akwonko, D. Aruti, or E. Balu Tabla. No, I don't want it to be tied. So I want to pick a different answer because someone else already picked Boyan. So I'm going to pick Kyoto because he scored the goals. In the 84th minute of the game last season, one player scored and he was caught offside and it was Rommel Kyogo. Oh, okay. Nice. He doesn't get nice offside Eve. very often. No. So it was 1-1-1 one, one, one going into Ooh. the last question, right? Mm -hmm. So which CF Montreal player or Montreal Impact player from the MLS era was born closest to Nashville, Tennessee. And he was born less than two hours away. Is it A, Justin Mapp? Is it B, Jack McInerney? Is it C, Harry Ship? Is it D, Chris Duval? Or is it E, Colin Warner? And we're going to Hattie first this time. What the hell? <laughs> That's a good one. I don't even know what's two hours like around Nashville. <laughs> I would say Justin Mapp. Just like pure luck. So Hattie goes for Justin Mapp. Eve. That was going to be my guess. <laughs> <laughs> I had nobody like has ever had a Southern type accent. And then I was like, then I thought like Florida was kind of close. And we high level just from Florida. And then you wasn't even on the list. So I'm up the creek. I'm going to, I'm going to go down with Hattie's ship. Justin Mapp. Oh, you're going for the same one. Okay. Justin yeah, Mapp. I don't know. <laughs> I really and don't know. Sam. Say Harry Ship. I got to Google like U.S. geography. Okay. Not good at it. So less than two hours from Nashville is Chattanooga. And that is the birthplace of one Jack McInerney. Oh, nice. Ah, okay, at least we didn't lose. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 1-1-1. One, one, one. So the tie break, it's whoever gets the closest, right? The tie break is this. And we'll go back to Eve first, Sam second, Hattie third. So the tie break is Evan Bush sat on the bench. This has nothing to do with Nashville. Evan Bush sat on the bench as an unused substitute more times than any other Montreal player in MLS history. How many times? Eve. I'm going to say 53 times. No, 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 no. I want to pick more. Um, I'm going to say 65 times. So Eve goes for 65. Sam? I'd say 57 times. Like he's played a lot. Of games. Sam goes for 57. Yeah. Hattie? I would go for 72. Hattie goes for 72. Evan Bush has sat 
on the bench as an unused sub for Montreal Impact in MLS. 104. Oh my God. Wow. I win. Wow. I win. <laughs> so, 2 2 2 2 2 has been the backup forever. Big, big comeback yeah. by Harry. 2 yeah. 2 2. Wow. I wanted to say about 90, but you guys, like, I, I'm we not joking. You guys so are really, hard. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to take a chance. I'm going to say 70 something. Look at his little face. Look at his little face. He looks so happy. Look. <laughs> yeah, Hadi, Hadi, man. Of Good course, job. I'm happy. Good Choices, <laughs> Choices, Hadi. Choices. It's my time to shine again. Uh, so <laughs> let's wait for the bell ring and come back with choices. Perfect. So today I have three choices for you. I tried to make them difficult, but it's been hard in the past few weeks. I, I, I think I haven't done them too difficult for you. So I. Try to change the, the tide a bit uh, today. Thanks. So let's start with the first one. So you're with Fred Nancy, and you want to choose your three uh, uh, center backs for the game against Nashville, knowing Louis Banks is injured, and unfortunately, Kiki Struna is not available for you guys. Along with Miller and Camacho, would you choose Waterman? Or would you try Zoran Basong as a central defender? Can I go hey. first? Yeah, hey, go, ahead, go ahead. Okay, I go back with Waterman, and I think you know, when you've had a bad game, you know exactly what you did wrong. And the best way I think for a player to get you know get his flow back, his vibe back, is to go right back into it, not think about it too much. And he's going to make his own opportunity. You know, if he messes up, then it's, you know, it's on him. But I think he should be given the opportunity to go right back out there and, and you know, cement his spot and prove, prove that it was just a, you know, a roadblock. And he's a good player. Eve? I was going to say the exact same thing. Exact same thing. Uh, <laughs> like, to a T, you know, um, there's nothing better that for a... Um, less than satisfactory performance than getting right back on the horse and correcting what you know you could have done better. And as well, Zoran Basong, central defender, is not really his first position. No. So we always can play there. He can. Yeah. And I did he come into that for the the under 23s? I think he might have no no okay no he he just came in on the back on the left back. Yeah but he also played in the midfield also. Right, you know, it was uh, everyone kept getting injured in the center back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, knowing Paul, that a, a lot of analysts were saying after the game that Waterman doesn't have uh, the level required to play in MLS. Would you agree with uh, with Sam or and Eve, or would you go with Zoran Basong? I, I think I agree with, with with Sam and Eve, and I think what I'd say about Basong is this: um, I think he's going to be a good left-sided defender. He could be a good centre back too. Um, uh, but but I think what I have to say about him at this stage: don't forget, this guy's never really played a senior game in his life. He's never played a league game in his life. Um, so I, he, when he plays his first one, I kind of want it to be at left back because that's his position. And and the other side of the argument as well is. Anybody can have a bad game, especially the first game of the season. Um, I think it would be very, very harsh to 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 kind of condemn. I know 
that's probably too strong a word, but condemn Joel Waterman for, for that one bad performance. I think I think he deserves another chance. And hey, I mean, he got an assist on Romel Kiosko in Kyoto's goal. He's got two assists. He's got two assists. First MLS game last season and first game, uh, first MLS game this season. Uh, stats man at it again no but yeah I, I think that people were a bit too harsh on Waterman yes uh, he had he made a few mistakes but he, he did well in a few in a few situations also during yeah the but game, he had so. a bad game had he, he, he had a bad you know he, he had he, a bad game he was culpable just both everyone both. else had a, also had a really really good game exactly mm-hmm. exactly so let's move on with the second choice guys would you rather lose versus Nashville 1-0 uh, sorry win versus Nashville 1-0 with um, with a known goal scored by Nashville then draw against Columbus with a very defensive shape or would you rather two narrow losses versus Nashville and Columbus with a very entertaining football I want results. I'm sorry. I want points. I want to climb up those. So one point. GD rankings and no, I'm I'm joking about the rankings. I don't really care that much. I want points. So one point is better than zero, even if we play very. Even if it's even if it's ugly, yeah. Sometimes okay. you got to grind them out. Sam. Yeah, I have to agree. Yeah, I have to agree with Eve because you know the and I think. People underrate a lot the early season points you can pick up and you're not running after points at the end of the season. So, yeah, if, even if it's not nice, you know, we have so long of a season to 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 improve. So if we have two poor results, but we per, pick up a point, I'd be happy with it. Well, well, not happy, but it would be better than lose, you know, losing both games. Got, 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 got to keep the momentum going. Um, got to get the points in the board. Uh, the, these two games, the two games you're talking about as well, we 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 could actually go out in these two games and, and try and play on the front foot, but be forced backwards, you know. And it might look like one of those defensive performances, but um, I, I'll settle for the backs to the wall performances and, and pick up the points at this moment in time for sure yes. wow I, I would I would I would tend to go with the two narrow losses just because we're building something and I think that it's important to build something and to to accept that we're going to lose some games in order to get better later then go back to a very defensive shape just to try to salvage a point uh, that's my opinion for if I look at the grand scheme of things, I would have so, chosen so, the so, other. So what you're talking Power about to is, you to being what, able what, to see beyond it. What what you're talking about then is is actually setting yourself up to be defensive. Yes, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, because if, yeah, uh, what I can. said is what I said is uh, if what, if yeah, I might I might agree with you in in, in that respect. Then yeah. no, no, you had your choice already. Too late. Let's move oh, on. All right, you're on your own. You're on your own, man. <laughs> Let's move on with the third one and the last one, guys. It's tough. It's tough. Would you rather have Toronto winning the CONCACAF Champions League but finishing eighth in the uh, Eastern Conference or would you rather being eliminated in the next round of the CONCACAF Champions League but reaching the MLS Cup? Oh, this one's easy. <laughs> Go ahead, Eve. 
I would rather they not win CONCACAF Champions League yeah. because we will never hear the goddamn end of it if they win it. Yeah. Ever, ever, ever. Plus, they've so, made MLS Cup in the past and we've gotten over it. So, oh, no, no, I do, but, no. <laughs> no, no, copy paste, Steve. You got my answer. Yeah, I might, I might, I might agree with that. Too, because if they go to MLS Cup, there's still a chance they're not going to win it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true, 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 true. And those were my choices this week. So, uh, yeah, it was more fun choices than really difficult ones. Uh, but I'm well, sure we're going to get... Toronto was winning stuff and we're losing. So, no, they weren't fun choices. <laughs> You, you've, de- so. you've depressed us all now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So that's it for me. Thanks a lot yeah, for playing. Thanks, again. Taddy. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Well, that's it from another action-packed episode of The Ball Is Round. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget our Twitter page uh, at TBIR Montreal. Uh, thanks to Montreal band Rough Gentlemen for the music and to Can FC for the platform. Thanks also to my fellow podcasters, Eve, Hattie, and Sam for the discussion on all things this week in Montreal and Canadian football and a little bit beyond too. I'm Paul Vanson. Just before we leave you uh, this momentous and challenging week for the world of football, I'd just like to take a moment to underline what this game means to so very many people the world over. Something that the greedy parasites who plague our sport will never, ever, ever understand it's a quote from the late sir bobby robson sir bobby was a great football man he rose from hardship in england's economically challenged northeast where even when people had nothing they had newcastle united they had sunderland middlesbrough darlington or even hartley pools united where football was a religion still is a religion and still in people's blood up there hugely so they're so passionate about the game it's incredible The area has produced so many great players, the Charlton brothers, their uncle Jackie Milburn, Len Shackleton, and in more modern days, Brian Robson, Peter Beardsley, Michael Carrick, Paul Gascoigne, Alan Shearer. Here's what Sir Bobby had to say. What is a club in any case? Not the buildings or the directors or the people who are paid to represent it. It's not the television contracts, the get-out clauses, the marketing departments or the executive boxes. It's the noise, the passion, the feeling of belonging, the pride in your city. It's a small boy clambering up stadium steps for the very first time, gripping his father's hand, gawping at that hallowed stretch of turf beneath him and without being able to do a thing about it, falling in love. That was the late Sir Bobby Robson. Good night. God bless. The game is still in the hands of the people. We'll see you all next Wednesday.